I like reporting on brutal human rights situations. It's important for the world to know about them. But at the same time, there's so many of these going on that Americans tend to be like, all right, what does this have to do with me? Well, what it has to do with you is that that hot chocolate that you're drinking was, you know, grown by child slaves in West Africa or the coltan in your phone was mined by child slaves in the Congo or the frozen shrimp that you're eating was mined was was caught by people in 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 Vietnam or Thailand excuse me uh, who were basically held in bondage on these ships and when they get back to land they're thrown in cages and I feel like that that kind of story that has the hard human rights angle that I like but with a twist that makes makes in a Western audience stand up and say, oh, geez, this is like totally this slavery is in my pocket every day. Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell with another podcast exploring the changing state of digital news. This time around, uh, Nicole Agrisco and I have a little podcast conversation with PJ Tobia of PBS NewsHour and also the Shortwave podcast, which he started about six or seven months ago. It's a great little podcast about taking big global stories and finding the local angle to them. It's something that PJ is a real master at, and I highly recommend that you check it out. I met PJ uh, via the DC Podcasters Group, who coincidentally is sponsoring the first ever DC PodFest, which is going to be taking place November 6th through 8th at the Wonder Bread Factory in Washington, D.C. Yes, it used to be a Wonder Bread Factory. And you can find out more about the PodFest at dcpodfest.com. And now, Nicole Agrisco and I talk to a fellow D.C. podcaster, P.J. Tobia of PBS NewsHour and the Shortwave Podcast. Enjoy. Well, first of all, how long have you been at, at PBS NewsHour? Uh, about four years. Okay. And so talk us through how you got to this, this place. You know, what was sort of your, your journey as a journalist? So I was a free, I actually started, my career started in Alt Weekly as I was an investigative reporter. Uh, I covered a lot of migrants, migration, immigration in South Florida and also in, in Nashville, Tennessee. I worked for the Village Voice media chain. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting, especially in Nashville, where they were having this huge influx of of migrants from Central America, and they'd never really had that before. So covering that, I learned a lot, first of all, about document reporting and investigation, but also just that kind of reporting of getting into this new community and how their appearance almost overnight in this town affected everything in the city. Uh, and, you know, how do the public services react to it? How do, how do the absolutely. police and schools? It was like cops and... reporting. It was it was healthcare reporting. It was education reporting. It was a little bit of everything. After a few years in Nashville, I uh, moved to Afghanistan. Actually, I moved to Kabul as a freelancer. I was there for a little over a year. I uh, did a lot of BBC radio. I wrote for lots of different newspapers and magazines. Did um, some... Quick hits for American radio, some TV. So you did mostly broadcast or are you doing sort of sort of print as well? It, I wouldn't say it's 50-50. It was mostly print, actually. There mm. was uh, the broadcast. I did a good chunk of broadcast, but it was mostly print, I would say. So, I, had a, I, had a, I, had a, um, uh, I had a blog as well. It was one of these. It was like a, a Huffington Post. It was a, a group called Truce Land that I think Forbes later acquired. 
And they actually paid me to blog from Afghanistan. So oh, wow. it was a pretty good gig, yeah. Yeah, well, what was your experience there? What did you, you know, I would imagine that would be kind of a... Yeah, there was a lot of it was conflict reporting, embeds with the U.S. military, that kind of thing. But also, the most interesting to me was just hanging out with Afghan people and seeing how they worshipped and how they ate and where their children went to school and them just continuing daily life amidst this conflict and the conflict hit them at every level. And I don't mean that there were bombs going off left and right, although that was the case sometimes. It's just more that resources were strained and real estate prices in Kabul shot sky high because you had all these foreigners coming in, renting things. NGOs, the UN would rent anything that was that had a, a locking door because they had so much personnel there. So everyone's there was this ripple effect economically, educationally, resource wise. So you you liked covering the, the the local angle. I actually did like the local angle a lot. Yeah. And part of my work there was I was a consultant to an Afghan media group called the Khalid Group which is a nonprofit. It's sort of like the PBS of Afghanistan in a way, and they had a big radio network and a couple of magazines. And I was kind of a, a mentor to some of the younger journalists there. They hired me to teach them some basics, journalism 101 and that kind of thing. So a lot of what I did was local journalism in Afghanistan. Uh, but then I would also do reporting for, for national and international media in the U.S. and Europe. Oh, well, it's really interesting because we're going we're gonna to end up talking about the podcast you do, which has a you're writing global stories, but you're actually looking at the, the local impact of them. And also what you're talking about in Nashville, just, you know, getting getting an idea of seeing how immigrants come in and changing culture, the, the impact on, on local areas. Yeah, that's kind of the through line in my work is globalization and how everyone culturally, economically and in many, many other ways is becoming much closer, whether we like it or not, even if you never actually interact with a citizen of another country on a day to day basis. Do you see that there's a there's an audience and a desire for that type of content in the U.S.? I sure hope so. <laughs> I don't know specifically what uh, our numbers are. It's about two and a half million people download NewsHour podcasts. That's shortwave, sure. our show, but also um, the the audio of PBS NewsHour, the nightly week and weekend show, and the Shields and Brooks, which is, of course, like our signature segment on Friday, Friday evenings. Um, Mark Shields and David Brooks, who talk about politics with Judy Woodruff usually. Um, and those... Three podcasts combined for about two and a half million. But I'm in many ways, I don't want to know what the numbers are. Sure. I just want to focus on putting out uh, a really great product. On the, on the other hand, if you if you came and told me that 1.3 million of those two and a half million hits were because of shortwave, I would probably want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> at your at your next negotiation, absolutely, uh, yeah. At, at the very least, hey, you know, have you seen the numbers on this? <laughs> this is how this is how this works. Well, since since we're talking about shortwave, let's jump right in and uh, talk about it. We kind of met on the DC Podcasters Group or through the DC Podcasters Group. You're a shortwave is a podcast that you launched about six months ago. That's right. Yeah, our first episode I think was in May. This week is episode twenty one. Good for you. Yeah. So buy shortwave a drink if you see it out in the bar because it's now legal. Okay. Well, that, that that's that's important to know because journalists need to know how old their podcasts are that they're taking out for drinks, I guess. I guess that's what's going on here. So what was the inspiration for this? That's sort of You said it was sort of your through line is, it was globalization. Is that kind of... Part of it was that you know we cover on 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 our broadcast, our television broadcast, we cover these big weighty issues in a very serious way. It's what NewsHour is known for: the even-handed, fair coverage of very important, in-depth issues, or very important issues in depth, I should say. And a lot of stuff, a lot of stories that I story ideas that I had, or very interesting conversations that I was having with smart people, were getting left on the cutting room floor. And I kind of thought, well, what's a way that I can use this? 
sort of these smart conversations that I'm having with people. It's in the same news hour style of being objective and and in depth and even handed, but kind of repurpose it for an audience that maybe we're not reaching with the broadcast, mm-hmm. an online audience, a digital audience, a multimedia audience that likes to engage in things like Snapchat, in things like podcasts, and is and lives online. That's where they get their news. And we have a really robust digital operation. You can watch the whole show. You can live stream it on your phone from pretty much anywhere in the world. We've got a, a digital team that's I don't think it's near. It's close to the size of our broadcast team, frankly, who are doing social media, repurposing content from the show, but also creating brand new, fresh content, slideshows, all kinds of great stuff, traveling, shooting video, video that's native to the web. And I wanted to I wanted to be a part of that audience. So much of what I was doing is it was the broadcast. And I thought, well, there's this whole other audience that would be really into the foreign affairs coverage that we're doing on the show. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, the, the news hour. Uh, it's online presence is, is is pretty damn impressive because, you know, not only can you watch a whole episode. I mean, you've, you've got transcripts. That's uh, right. The transcripts got... are up by 10 p.m. Most Jesus nights. Christ. We, wow. used to, we used to do transcripts for our podcast. It was it was a nightmare because we, we don't do them for short. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it, it's 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 labor intensive. Uh, but, you know, and, and that's a whole nother. Let's let's get into the real nerdy debate about whether you should transcribe or not. You know, yeah. do you want your people to to read your content? Do they want you to listen to your content anyway. Anyway, that's. <laughs> Like I said, that's ultra, ultra nerdy. So how, how is the, the content that you're doing different than than the content that, that people can get online or get on, get on the broadcast? Get on the broadcast. Yeah, well, I think what's unique about Shortwave as a podcast and I think what, the way it's unique from uh, from what's what happens on the show is the way we tell the story. Right. It's very intimate. It's it's my voice, but it's not just me talking to another p- person or another two people. We interlace music. We use a lot of natural sound. Often I'll use uh, audio elements from the broadcast. I'll bring them in. So it's a dis- it's a conversation, but it's not just a kind of back and forth. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. That's our bread and butter on air. But I think for for this medium, you need something a little more uh, intimate, a little faster pace. I think the music kind of helps it along a little bit, too, sometimes. I mean, I like the music that we use a lot, but sometimes I'll be like, I'll, I'll decide where to use it just by when I'm editing it. I see a block of audio. It's someone talking. And I'm like, that, that's a 45 second sound bite. And I need something to help move that along. Yeah. Uh, and I'll drop some music in there. You, you got you to gotta believe in people's, you know, cadence and they're, they're, you know, drawing out things like I'm drawing out things now. So when you when you brought the idea of the podcast to the news hour, were they all for it? Were they hesitant a little bit on their part? You know, like, oh, well, you're going to be using time to work on this podcast. What was that conversation? The like first person I spoke to about this was Hari Srinivasan, uh, who anchors our weekend show prior to that. Uh, and our weekend show is 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 uh, broadcast out of out of New York City, WNET Studios. Prior to that, he was a reporter and sometime anchor down here in Washington in our studios in suburban Washington. And so we're friends. And and I brought the idea to him first. And he was really excited. And he thought, I think this is a great thing. I brought it to my boss, the foreign affairs editor, Justin Kenny. He was like, I think this will really work. Come up with a little bit more structure and then we'll go one level up. And then we talked to Sarah Just, the executive producer, and ran it by everyone in our morning news meeting. And everyone was they were excited. They were like, yeah, go for it. As long as, you know, you're going to you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Right. I mean, um, and, and as long as it doesn't sort of take away from from what is such an important part of my job, which is the broadcast. And, and I said, look, this is really going to it's going to feed both, because, as I said, 
so much of my sourcing comes from my reporting for the broadcast. And I learn things on the podcast that I bring up in our broadcast meetings. And so it's symbiotic. Yeah. And actually, having listened to a few episodes, at first I was kind of like, oh, is this just repurposed content? But it's not. Sometimes you have reporters on and they're talking about the stories that they're covering. Sometimes it's stuff that you've done where you get to, I think, sort of blow it out a little bit yeah. and, and sort of fold in interviews that you did and, and maybe take a different angle. You know, I'm thinking of the one you, you, you did about uh, the the immigrant children, the, the uh, young kid who was who was living in Northern Virginia with his parents. Oh, yeah, sure. So, Nodwin. Nodwin. Little Nodwin, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, and, and that speaks very much of your, you know, sort of personalization of, of bigger stories. I mean, everybody remembers the all the big blow-up in, in, in Texas and on the southern border about um, all of the, the immigrant children who were coming in. And here, here you, you find somebody in Northern Virginia who has a, a pretty harrowing story uh, about what happened to him. And then what's great, what I really liked about it, is you sort of laid it across the structure of our government and how they're dealing with it, he, how he has to deal with it in the courts, how he has to deal with it through immigration, and what is the likelihood of him getting a hearing you know, I guess he's going to court, I think, in 2019, I think. That's, I think, yeah. that was, I think it was 2019. It was yeah. a long, he's going to be like yeah. 17 or 18 or 19. Yeah, so, and then and then when that happens, it's like, you know, his, the whole, his whole story kind of changes because he's an adult, he's not a child anymore. Um, but, you know, finding a person and sort of blowing it out into this much bigger story, a way of humanizing, I think, is really powerful. Thank you so much. I mean, and that was a story that started on the broadcast. I first reported that as a reporter on air, um, Nodwin's story, I guess, two Januarys ago it is now. Yeah. But, it, it, you know, there wasn't really room in the show to do a follow-up to that because, you know... Because there never is. These kids, well, yeah. these kids aren't in the news either. You know, I mean, the the, the the crisis is kind of past. Yeah. And so while NewsHour does, you know, we make a habit of sticking with stories long after everyone else is kind of like, you know... But this was one that I was able to... I think I did a four-part series over the summer on kind of where are they now? Like, where are we with... Now, where is this crisis now one year on? And and Nodwin was the first one because he was the sort of the first real face of it to me. Yeah, and that's really cool because yeah, I can see it. You you started in the alternative press doing community news, and I mean that's a real sort of a bread and butter type thing. Going back and looking at a story, you know, you could write that really impactful first story and just you know move on to something else. But going back to it periodically, and, and you know that you know, that's just a rich type of journalism. Yeah, I agree. It's it's you know. Our hook, the thing that we try and do with every episode is connect international affairs, foreign events to life here in the U.S. And it's easier than you think, but it's also it, it, it's pretty challenging, too. And, and the one exception that I've made to that rule, which I think is not going to be an exception much longer, is the Syrian refugee crisis. Mm -hmm. I think our third or fourth episode, we did something on the Syrian refugee crisis. I interviewed the head of Save the Children in Jordan. And... To me, that story is just so important. I mean, it's the, now everyone knows it's the largest refugee crisis since World War II. But people uh, who, who study this stuff and spend their life in it have, have known that for years. And so that was the one exception that I made to the sort of it has to hit close to home here. But now it's coming full, full circle. The U.S. has said they're going to take 10,000 of these refugees. It's only a matter of time until it actually is a story that like affects us here in Washington or in Ohio or California, New York, elsewhere. And what's great about that, you've already done some of the work. You're not going to have to like, oh, what is this? You know, oh, these people are at my doorstep now. How, how do I deal with this? What's story? the difference between a migrant me, and a refugee yeah, again? Let me, yeah. uh, let me check and see what PBS NewsHour did on it. Or this uh, shortwave uh, uh, podcast. We, we talk about different types of um, episodes that you've done, but can, can you sort of talk about the, the process of 
you know, how do you get these stories and, you know, how do you, you know, what's, what's your approach when you, when you go out to write, to cover this type of story? Well, it's, it, there's a, a couple of different ways. One is, as I said, I'm working on something for the broadcast and I hit on an idea or something that isn't quite right. Like for instance, I was reporting something, I think it was a defense, some kind of defense spending story. And someone mentioned offhand, offhandedly a source that I was talking to uh, for the show, for a possible guest to be on NewsHour about the money we were spending in Mexico to prop up or to work with their military. Uh, and so uh, and I was like, oh, I wonder where that money goes. And so I started asking other people. And then it, it turns out that we spend a good chunk of change on helping their southern what they call their southern border strategy. So we're helping in ways like with training and with equipment to help monitor their border. Um, and so that's how I got that story idea. That was I think that was part two or three of the immigration series over the summer is what's the Mexican strategy for dealing with this crisis at their border and how has that affected the crisis at our border? It turns out the way that they've been interdicting migrants and refugees has been much more effective. And so we don't really that's one of the reasons why the numbers have dropped so much here. And that's what we talked about in that episode. Another way, frankly, is, you know, NewsHour has the best uh, interns. We call them desk assistants in Washington, hands down. I mean, they are the best and the brightest and they're eager and they really like the show. I know I knew it was good when a, a handful of desk assistants said, we really like this and we want we want to help you out. We want to work on it a little bit. And so I, I sort of put it in their hands whenever a desk assistant comes to me and says, what can I do to help? I like the show. I say. What you can do is come up with some pitches. The requirement is uh, that it be about foreign affairs, but that it have an impact on Americans. You have to answer the question, you know, why should I care about this foreign event? And so th those those are sort of two I, I, two of the ways that I get them, really. It's through my work, working on the show, and then the work of, of, uh, of our desk assistants. And the other thing, this is, this is something that I don't think is really obvious to a lot of people, but there's somebody who, who does podcasts. Your episodes typically are like seven or eight minutes long. Eight to 15 minutes. Uh, okay. Our longest one was may at most 15 minutes. Yeah. 15 minutes. Eight to 15 minutes. So, so is that sort of a conscious thing? Absolutely. Your approach? Oh, what, absolutely. What, yeah. What's your thinking on that? Hari said it should be that long because that's how long it takes him to walk to the bus every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I mean, he was kind of joking, but... You know, but we, seriously, that's how long it takes. Yeah, but seriously, PJ, I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, but um, no, it, it, it's it's I I needed to pick a number, and that was a good place to start. And I was like, okay, well, I'll shoot for that. If that doesn't work, if that's too short or too long, I'll go longer or shorter. But it really feels good. It feels like it's a good. And when I tell people um, who are like, oh, I listen to so many podcasts, I don't need another one. I'm like, it's only eight minutes. And they're like, oh, right. And you know, sometimes I really enjoy the long. You know, right. I liked serial. I liked. Uh, Freakonomics, which is yeah. longer. I mean, I like a lot of podcasts that are longer, but you know, I listen to plenty of short ones too. I I, I like both. For me, it's like Sunday chores. You know, that's, yeah, that's kind mm -hmm. of my. I, I tend to listen for longer than just the walk to the bus or or the putting away the groceries. It's usually like a few hour blocks. So yeah, there's no hard and fast answer, and I think it's one of the things that that the numbers show is that the, 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 some people really like the the shorter stuff, some of the long stuff. One of my favorite podcasts is. I always forget this. Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History, which oh, yeah. episode's three and a half hours long. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't listened to that, but people it, but tell me I'd like it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, sl I don't want to say it's a slog. It's, it's, it's enjoyable, but it, it's long. But anyway, uh, uh, enough of that. Uh, the, the other thing about having, having things that are sort of in that, that length is, is your, your podcast is really well produced. Oh, thank it's, you. You're going from segment to segment. You're, well, segment to segment. It's the same story. You're going from interview to music to, 
um, to report by a, by a reporter in an interview. And it's just, it moves at a really good clip, which is one of the things I really liked about it. Thank and, you. And you come away, you know, in, in, you know, 8, 10, 15 minutes with a, with a, a full story sort of, sort of appears. Do you feel that you need to be consistent with like, you know, so each week it has to be between 8 to 15. Are you willing to go longer or I can't really see you going shorter but yeah do you yeah see that? I, well there actually the I have gone as short as five minutes once and you know what that's all it needed and I was resistant to it I was like let me find some more stuff I could throw in here but I just listened I'm like you know what you gotta you know when I first started in newspapers I had an editor and I'm, I got one of my first assignments and I said how long should how long should the story be and he just said write it for what it's worth and that's kind of what I try and do. I would love to get that story that's like a 30-minute thing that takes me weeks to produce. I'm, I'm hoping that that happens. I have yet to find that thing yet. So much of what I'm doing is just like trying to like stay on the tiger at this point. Like I, I feel like I've promised the audience that they're going to get an episode every week. And so I'm really trying to keep to that. And I have successfully so far. I've taken one, maybe two weeks off since I've started. But yeah, so I, I, would, I would totally be willing to go with like a 30-minute deep dive on something. I would really like to do that. Now, what what are the what are the types of stories that appeal to you the most? Is it is it something like immigration, or is it something um, I don't know? Um, you can, more economics, more. I really um, like the uh, the kind of unexpected. I mean, it's I'm really into human rights stories, but but human rights stories that again I can tie back here that have a little twist. I mean, like the, our very first episode was about modern slavery. And how many products American use, Americans use that were produced by slaves, people wow. who were in bondage. Not, not sort of like the slavery that was depicted in Roots, that's bondage slavery, but chattel slavery. People right. who have been captured, who have willingly come to a job site, had their IDs confiscated and can't leave, really. And, and so stories like that, I mean, that's a, that's a really brutal human rights situation. I like reporting on brutal human rights situations. It's important for the world to know about them. But at the same time, there's so many of these going on that Americans tend to be like, all right, what does this have to do with me? Well, what it has to do with you is that that hot chocolate that you're drinking was, you know, grown by child slaves in West Africa or the coltan in your phone was mined by child slaves in the Congo or the frozen shrimp that you're eating was mined but was was caught by people in 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 Vietnam or Thailand excuse me uh, who were basically held in bondage on these ships and when they get back to land they're thrown in cages and i feel like that th that kind of story that has the hard human rights angle that i like but with a twist that makes makes in a western audience stand up and say oh geez this is like totally this slavery is in my pocket every day so what type of impact does that type of story get what what, what is it do you, do you get much response from your your audience uh, the only response i can that well i mean we get i get mail and then um mail like letter mail no not letter mail. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, we, we get viewer mail every day oh, okay. like which is a response to sort of the news hour program but i've been getting uh some emails let's say and and the viewer mail is an email format sure so, sure. so okay. listener mail let's call it let's why see. not i've gotten a couple of those and then twitter i get the social media bounce that's the only way i really know if a story is kind of hitting mm -hmm. uh, is 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 the social media bounce from my personal account oh but you know we also often will put an episode up and it will become one of the top three, five, one pieces of content on the website, which is, you know, not nothing. I don't know what our traffic numbers look like. I know we've had a really good week this week, but that's not a small thing. To It's, it's a national news website and to be in the top five. I mean, I'm always proud when I'm always really, really proud when that happens. I'm not going to lie. So that that's one way we measure it. Um, 
Oh, and Facebook shares, you know. So those that the stories that I can connect directly to like your pocket, your pocket book, your kitchen table, those are the ones that always do the best. Are you are you at all involved in uh, any of the social media strategy or is that sort of out on the team? Um as it were. It's pretty much we have a team that does it and they're really good at it. So I I mean I I let them know when I'm doing something. I have suggestions, but they're better at it than they have more time dedicated to to it than I do. When I have time, I will schedule tweets and Facebook posts and use Pablo to create nice looking, you know, images and put text over them. But I, lately, I really I haven't uh, I haven't had the time for that. But, you know, I, I, I try to have my own social media strategy parallel to to news hours. So are there any of the stories that, that have been on a shockwave that people can see now that that you you sort of have a good connect, a, a really good connection with that you feel that you're really proud of? Um, Which of your babies do you like best? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's tough. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Just before I left the office, I was looking through the episodes, and some of them, I, I, I have to be honest, I was like, oh, wow, I, I totally forgot about that one. Uh, <laughs> but but the the one that I like, the one that one of the ones that, to me, really I was happiest with because I know it's not really something – it's not easy. It wasn't easy to pull off was – it was actually the second story that I did about Syrian refugees, which was a follow-up interview with someone from Save the Children and um, someone from Save the Children. And it was about this little boy uh, in northern Syria who would crawl into gas tanks. He worked in the diesel market and he would crawl into the diesel tankers with a sponge and sponge the inside of the diesel tanker and then squeeze the sponge out into a bucket and sell the diesel from the sponge to people. That's how he survived. Essentially, he was a, he was a, he'd been his family had been displaced. His father wasn't working, I think, and it was him and his brother, and that's what they did. And there was a picture. I had a picture of the kid in front of me while I was sort of reading and writing the track, um, you know, the part that I speak. And um, it was just to me that came together really well because you know I I'll, I'll, again it didn't really have a direct connection to Americans, but it was. The way it came together, and that was a short episode. I think that was like five or six minutes. But it was like I was like, no, I'm happy with that. I was really pleased with the way that came out. The music worked really well. It wasn't too maudlin, but everyone I know who listened to it told me that they thought it was really powerful. So I was very proud of that one. Yeah, and, and it's it, it's the stories like that that you know those are the yeah, I obviously haven't had the same t- the same story, but as journalists, we all we always encounter these very human stories that somehow speak to us at a certain level, and you want to, you know, give the story as much as you can, and so that you can impart it, so that people will, will get the same feel the same things that you do, get the same impact. So you know, I, I in my own life, I have I have stories that that I've worked on or I've worked with reporters on that that. You know, I, I know about that. Just yeah, you know, that's what makes you a journalist. That's really. what you wanted. That's what you do it for. It's why you get out of bed in the morning is to tell those kinds of stories, and uh, that's totally what it's about. And at the same time, that you know, there are stories that just come to me. I mean, actually, this week, sticking with the theme of Syrian uh, refugees, uh, William Brangham, um, uh, one of our our general assignment reporters, just got back from Hungary, and he came back with a bunch of stuff that didn't make it into the broadcast. And we sat down and just knocked out an, an interview this week, and and. To be able to also help my colleagues and, right. and get their some of their work that couldn't make it make it into broadcast pieces for whatever reason out there was also really rewarding. So, so is there any story that you haven't covered that you really want to get on, on that you think maybe hasn't been told? There's a lot. There's a few that I've got that I've sort of got in my back pocket. You don't have to tell me what they are. Yeah, I think <laughs> I'm going to keep them to myself for yeah. now. But no. 
I mean, that's the thing is when I get the time, these are going to be deeper dives. Okay. Now, some of some of uh, the people listening to our podcast are people who are just out of uh, J school who or who are just starting out their careers in journalism. And, you know, what type of advice would you, you, you give them for sort of where we're at in, in our industry? There's um, they probably if they just got out of J school. They probably will have just finished reading something by John McPhee, probably. And, and it turns out that John McPhee was a friend of uh, was the father of one of my sister's best friends growing up, my big sister. And, um, you know, I wrote to him when I got out of journalism school or it was right before I went to journalism. It was semi I'd been accepted. I wasn't sure I should go to journalism school. And I said, you know, what should I do? Do you have any advice? And he said, um, if if there's anything else you can do in the world that isn't this, you should probably do it. But if this is the only thing that will really make you happy, if this is the thing that you think you have the most to give the world, that will allow you to give the most of yourself to the world, you should do it. And so I did. I took the leap. And it was a great, but one of the best decisions I ever made. What I would tell you guys now that, and, and you men and women, now that you've already made that leap with me, don't become too beholden to the establishment. <laughs> the establishment has a voice. It has a real voice. It has a real opinion. Left or right, doesn't matter. Uh, and there are some things that just aren't said at cocktail parties. You know what I mean? And, and uh, I wouldn't get too wrapped up in that. You want to read some of the, the people who are a little more out there to the left and the right. Even if, you know, just to get a sense, to know that the conversation inside the Beltway here in Washington or or in, in Brooklyn or, or Manhattan uh, or less Los Angeles or Silicon Valley or London or any of these places isn't the conversation that most people in the world are having. And it's really important to be aware of the narratives outside of those elite bubbles. And it will be really hard to do that once you get once you become a part of the establishment, I think. Yeah, get your get your mind blown early. Exactly. And then apply it uh, into all things moving forward. Exactly. Well, I exactly. don't have much more to ask or, or I don't think there's much more to say at this point. Uh, the only other thing actually I'm thinking about, your role at uh, the News Hour, is it pretty much similar to what you're doing on the podcast, but just sort of for the show? Um, it's my, you know, the, the sh um, not exactly. There, I do broadcast pieces that I voice and I appear on camera for. I, I produce those. I report those. I write them. I do all that stuff. But a big part of, of our show and a big part of my job is discussion segments, You know, finding the best, smartest, most plugged in people to talk about the issues of the day on short notice. And so my colleagues and I, my boss, Justin Kenny, uh, my colleague, Daniel Segalen, who's a, a Deputy Senior Producer for Foreign Affairs. You know, we have some Rolexes that we go to and some sources. We're constantly working sources so that when something happens, we know who the absolute best person is to bring onto our air to, to explain either objectively to our audience or in a partisan way. And then we have someone from the other side to, to, uh, to disagree agreeably, as we like to say. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of, I do a lot of producing these discussion segments, but I, I, I write scripts. I used to shoot more. I don't shoot as much as I used to because of shortwave. It's kind of like I'm really dedicated to getting this podcast out every week. So I don't I don't go out with a camera as much as I used to. I'd like to get back into that. So how do you do that? How do you do you do you have a studio that you work in or are you go the, 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 the shortwave? Yeah. Or yeah, we have we have a, a, a nice sound booth. Um, it's very decent. And I've got audition on a laptop. I, I basically yeah, you know, I, I basically record all of the conversations in our sound booth. And then um, 
You sit at home on the couch. And Basically, <laughs> yeah. I have my home office a lot of time. Uh, I've built a little standing desk at my at my at my cubicle for for shortwave. It's, I call it my shortwave stu- production studio. Uh-huh. It's, it's just a standing desk at my desk that that I fold up and put it, away. It's whatever you want it to be. Exactly, man. You you as you 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 make that decision. You decide what it is. You you adopt that attitude, and then people will believe it. It's the joy of it. Yeah, and people go, "Oh, it's your standing desk." I'm like, "Yeah, it's my standing desk." It's my standing desk. I'm uh, I'm I'm recording. Recording gold right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah Radio exactly. gold. Radio yeah. gold. Radio okay. gold. Well, thank you very much for coming in, PJ. This has been great. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was fun. And if your listeners um want to want to reach out, uh, you can find me at PJ Tobia on Twitter. I'd love to know what you folks think of of the podcast. I don't hear nearly enough from our listeners. As I said, I get emails and mm-hmm. some Twitter, but it's I, I would love more feedback on a week to week basis. So please let me know what you think. Yeah. Outside of the analytics, it's it's a bit like. Yeah, like putting a basket out in the water. Totally. And, and, and maybe it comes back in and maybe it doesn't. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's it's faith. There's a lot of faith in, in being a podcaster. You just kind of Yeah. People, I'm then that's people a, listening. But then people come up and say things to you or send you an email or respond on Twitter and the, out of the dark. Absolutely. Or someone asks you to do their podcast. There there we go. Absolutely. No, this works. no, this makes me very happy to do. So I, I thank you guys. Okay. Excellent. Thanks. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also download episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter at All Journalism. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.